Christ Church, New Malden, Sunday the 24th of April, 2022, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, baptised into the risen King. So, the idea of a monarchy. The idea of a monarchy is that God especially appoints or anoints someone to lead a people, to bind those people more closely together and to represent them to the surrounding world. Now this year, you won't need to tell me, uh, tell you, is a big one for the monarchy in Britain, isn't it? With the Queen having reigned over this country for 70 years, a record longer than any other ruler. And while the Queen's rule is largely symbolic, there's no doubt that a great deal of people do feel that the Queen is a figure who not only unifies this country, but within whom they feel somehow included. They feel somehow incorporated. That's why the royal family, with all of its ups and downs, continues to be in the news. And it's why things like jubilees are such important occasions. Uh, rather than things just to do with the Queen, celebrating her own jubilee, they're national events, aren't they? Why? Because they incorporate everyone. I was eight when the Queen's Silver Jubilee occurred in 1977. And I still remember the excitement at a pretty bleak time, to be honest, in the history of this nation, because people felt that this celebration of the Queen's 25 years on the throne was simultaneously a celebration of something really important about them and their identity as well. They felt included, they felt incorporated. And precisely the same ideas of representation and inclusion or incorporation were meant to apply to Israel's kings. Originally, Israel wasn't meant to have kings. God was meant to be their sole ruler or king. But as a result of not having human leaders of that level, Israel gets worse and worse. And eventually God relents and grants Israel the king that they asked for. And those kings were given with the intention of them leading God's people, binding them more closely together and representing them both to God and the world. And in King David, Israel at first appeared to have hit the jackpot and got the perfect king. Someone after God's own heart, someone able to defeat their enemies, symbolised by that giant Goliath, and someone committed, really vitally, to bringing God's presence to the centre of the nation's life. But of course, you know the story, not least because we did a series on David recently. David turns out to be far from perfect. He turns out to be desperately flawed, doesn't he? And precisely because David did represent his people, Israel then gets hugely damaged as well. It leads to large groups of people rebelling against David, uh, wanting to have nothing to do with him, wanting to reject that incorporation. There's uh, some quite big rebellions in David's reign, and in one of them, the less famous one that follows Absalom's rebellion, led by a man called Sheba, this is what he shouts. We have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son. It shows they understood what monarchy was meant to be like, and David was falling short of that. And yet, despite 
how King David turned out. The people of Israel in later times preserved this idea of a king from David's line, an anointed king or Messiah, who would one day come to rescue them, to unify them, and to incorporate them within God's just rule over the world. And I guess the truth is that every single one of us wants to be included rather than left out, don't we? It is a basic human need. Think back, if you can, to your school days. Might have been a long time ago for some of us, but think back to your school days. Very often, people's greatest angst at that time wasn't really about the demands of their schoolwork, so much as insecurities to do with friendship. Insecurities about being included. And if truth be told, a lot of the concerns amongst adults, not least within office cultures or amongst parents at the school gate, is very similar. People desperate to be included within the in-crowd, left feeling insecure if this isn't the case. Being incorporated within a group, it promises to give us the security we crave, doesn't it? Even if the need to then stay within that group often makes lasting security always seem elusive, always seem just out of reach. And God's intended answer to this, God's intended answer for an Israel that had lost its way through its flawed and sinful kings, God's answer to us with all of our insecurities about belonging, God's answer is being joined and incorporated within the son of David, the risen king, Jesus Christ, and incorporated therefore as well within the people that belong to him. That's why the church is sometimes called the body of Christ. It's because once we become joined or incorporated within Jesus, once we become in Christ, as Paul puts it, we simultaneously become fully part of God's people. Now, the same was meant to happen through King David and all of the other kings. But David's sinfulness, and it got worse in his successors, meant that couldn't happen. But Jesus, the son of David, represents the real thing. That David could only ever imperfectly foreshadow the totally perfect king who was able to incorporate all of his people in a way that David, because of his flaws, never could and how do we become joined to Jesus, the perfect king, and thus his people? Well, the New Testament is quite clear on the answer. How we become joined to Jesus is through baptism and the ongoing life of faith that then springs from this. We've got quite a few baptisms coming up at Christchurch during May and June. And the whole point of baptism, whether it's done for young children or for adults, is that it represents being joined to Jesus Christ. And specifically, being joined to Jesus through those events we celebrated a week ago and just before that. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. They are the crucial things that we're incorporated into. That's what that passage from Romans 6 was all about. And here it is again. It's got a slight error that I made uh, where it says baptism, where it should say buried. But Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him, it should say, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
through the glory of God the Father, we too might live a new life. Now just look at those words and the totally emphatic statement that they make. The meaning of baptism is being joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection. Baptism incorporates us into what Jesus represents as our king. And the really crucial point is that through our baptism, what is true of Jesus through his death and resurrection then becomes true of us as well. That is what Paul is saying. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, on that very first Good Friday, all of that sin that he carried was taken down to death and therefore had its power destroyed. Jesus being from the line of David was crucial here because all of that sin accrued by the Davidic kings, by David and his successors, was part, I believe, of the process by which that sin was passed on to Jesus so that it could be dealt with when he died. That was the sort of positive end, as it were, of all those negatives to do with David and the Davidic line. It was, in God's grace, all part of the plan. But that sin being dealt with and its power taken away when Jesus died meant that when Jesus rose from the dead on the very first Easter day, the power of that sin, its destructive power, was gone. It had no more hold over Jesus, did it? That's why Jesus rose from the dead. Death was behind him. He was liberated from it. Jesus' death on Good Friday had dealt with the power of sin. That was the victory. Jesus' death on Good Friday had defeated sin, and his resurrection on the very first Easter day revealed that total liberation from sin and death and all of its power. And the truly fantastic thing about baptism is that it represents us being joined to this. What is true of Jesus in his death and resurrection becomes true of us as well because we're incorporated within it. Now, in trying to explain baptism, people sometimes say that it's a witness to our faith. It's an action on our part in response to God. And I think that's chiefly been uh, built up to justify it not being extended to children. But the Bible never speaks of baptism in that way. It never talks about baptism, the baptism event, being a witness. It talks about the ongoing life of faith that springs from that being a witness. Ongoing faith is crucial in the Christian life, but it's a response to God's grace. And baptism symbolizes that grace. It symbolizes something that God is doing to us, joining us to Jesus in his death and resurrection. And there are a couple of things, there are many things, but there are a couple of things that particularly spring from this that it's worth us thinking about this morning. And the first of them is this, the privileges of baptism. I could have said the blessings of baptism, the things that God gives us through our baptism. And there are loads of these. Here's a long list of things that the New Testament says we're given through our baptism. We're given forgiveness and cleansing from our sins. We're given new birth and adoption as God's children. That's remarkable, isn't it? The very same status that Jesus has as God's son 
is given to us as we become God's adopted children. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we go on discovering more and more of what that means throughout our Christian lives, but the New Testament is very clear that the gift of the Spirit is given in baptism. Incorporation into the people of God. And finally, resurrection life. Resurrection life guaranteed for our future, but because of the action of the Holy Spirit who brings that future into the present, we're able to experience in the here and now part of that future resurrection life that we're promised. Because Jesus is alive and because we're joined to him, it means that resurrection power can be experienced now within our lives, ahead of it being brought to completion in the future. Now, all of this could be unpacked further, and it has been unpacked further in a book that myself and my dad wrote. Uh, my dad wrote it back in 1987. Uh, a couple of years ago, I expanded it, and it tries to do precisely that. There's a bit of a plug for it. But what I want to focus on this morning is the emotional difference that I think this can make to us. You see, families, rightly, mean a great deal to those of us who are fortunate enough to have them. But for a variety of reasons, families can also be places of pain and hurt and disappointment rather than security, can't they? And our response, of course, shouldn't be to abandon our families, if that's the case. We're called to persevere in loving them and so on. But that task and plenty of other things in life becomes a lot easier when we recognise the rock-solid security held out to us through our baptism into the risen King, our adoption into God's family through Jesus, our incorporation within everything that Jesus Christ means through his death and resurrection. See, human families, whatever their merits, are frail and they're flawed, aren't they? And they're also temporary and will eventually pass away. But the risen Jesus Christ is both perfect and eternal. And that's why we can draw such strength from being united with him and incorporated within him so that everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of us as well. It's in Jesus Christ and our baptism into him that we can receive that security that we crave, the security that we truly belong to God as his precious sons and daughters, and that nothing whatsoever can change that if we continue to abide in Jesus. Here's an example of someone who had to discover that, Martin Luther, known as a great Christian hero, the one who really established the Reformation and therefore the Protestant Church. Now, Luther got a number of things badly wrong, but he got a lot of things wonderfully right as well. But he was also a rather insecure person, regularly assailed by doubts about his status in the sight of God. His great breakthrough is to discover that it's all about God's grace and that he can't contribute any virtue to that whatsoever. It's entirely down to God's grace. But even after that point, even after Luther's so-called Reformation breakthrough, his personality was such that he was frequently assailed by doubts about his status in the sight of God. And Luther learned a way of responding. Luther learned a technique to help him through 
these dark times, and it was really quite simple. When Luther was tempted to doubt his status in the sight of God, when he felt the devil whispering in his ear, you don't really belong, you're not good enough, Luther knew what to do. He would shout, he would shout at the devil these words in Latin, baptizatus sum, I am baptized. That was Luther's answer. That is what he would yell back if any dark thoughts came to his mind, whispering to him, you're not good enough. You're not good enough to belong to God. You're heading for damnation. That's what Martin Luther would shout. Why? Because he recognized that salvation was an act of God's grace. Through baptism, incorporating him into Jesus the Messiah, and that's where the security that Martin Luther longed for, the security that I believe we all long for, that's where it was found. Those of us who were fortunate enough to have children, uh, however old they get, desperately want them to feel secure, don't we? And we know that making really good choices in life very often springs from security. If we're secure about our status and that we're loved, we tend to make good choices. If we're insecure about our, our status, if we're insecure about whether we belong, very often destructive choices follow. One of the reasons why I'm so unapologetically enthusiastic about the baptism of children is because I believe that God wants precisely the same in terms of his parenthood of them. For them to be surrounded by so much security about their status in the sight of God that they grow up then making positive responses to that and living the life of faith that is meant to spring from our baptism. But the truth is that the need for such security and its positive impact doesn't end with our childhood. In fact, I believe, if anything, it increases as we get older, particularly when things like midlife crisis start to rear their head, particularly once things that perhaps have given us status in our young years disappear. So when people retire, or even more devastatingly, when people are made redundant, or when people who've invested a lot of time bringing up children, those children grow older and don't need them quite so much. When grandchildren perhaps grow older and don't need us quite so much. Those are the times very often when we do feel rather insecure. We start to wonder what our status is, what makes us important and significant and so on. Now, because I'm 53 and I've got to that dangerous period of midlife crisis, I'm well aware of that, partly for that reason, I've taken to remembering my own baptism a lot more consciously. Now, I was completely unaware of when my baptism took place until in a filing cabinet a few years ago I discovered a baptism card that I was given on April the 13th, 1969, in Trevenson Church in the parish of Elugan in Cornwall. And what I now try to do each year on my baptism when I notice on my phone or whatever that it's April the 13th, or when I can see that time approaching, I do try and reflect on the significance of my baptism. It may have happened years ago, it may have happened before I was uh, sort of conscious of this, but I'm trying to live out the memory of my baptism by recalling that event and what it symbolizes. There is the church, 
in the uh, parish of Elugan. As I say, fans of Poldark, it's the same parish that Demelza Poldark or Demelza Khan uh, came from. She was baptised uh, there as well, even though she's fictional. And it's a reminder to me of the security that I and all of us can receive through being joined to Jesus the risen King. Baptism, you see, in any tradition, whether it's the Anglican Church, the Baptist Church, whatever, can easily be done and forgotten, packed away. It's significance over once it's completed. The New Testament knows nothing of that. The New Testament says it's not really ever specific about at what age baptism has to take place. The thing it's really clear about is living out the significance of our baptism and what it represents. And that's why we get all those passages, including those that we looked at earlier, which talk about baptism and its ongoing significance in our lives because of the security that it is meant to bring us. The security and also, and I want to talk about this for a few moments now, the calling of baptism. See, the New Testament spends a lot of time talking about the blessings of baptism, those things that I ran through earlier. But particularly in those passages that we had read to us just earlier in the service, it also speaks very clearly and very directly about the calling contained in our baptism. Baptism is meant to shape our Christian life. That's another reason for the importance of its ongoing significance. It gives us security. It assures us that we belong to God, that all those blessings that God gives us through Jesus Christ are true and they apply to us, and that's terrific. But baptism also gives us a very strong calling. It's meant to shape our lives, not least through being joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection, resulting in the need for us to show holiness on to the next one. We need to live out our baptism by responding to the call to holiness. What is holiness? It's being different. It's being set apart for God. It's living in a distinctively different way. Demonstrating, living out the death to sin and the new resurrection life that we're called to. Both of those passages that we heard earlier in Romans and Colossians they speak of putting to death the sinful actions of the body because we belong to Jesus. They talk about allowing the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our lives, submitting to the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, as Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, in order to make our lives a reflection of that resurrection life that we have been given through our baptism. The idea is that we witness to others and to a surrounding world by being distinct, by living out what has already been claimed as true about us through our baptism. Of course, there are many qualities that we are meant to show, but chiefly, it's love. Supremely, it is love for one another, spilling out to as many people as possible beyond this church that is the ultimate sign of resurrection life that we've been joined to Jesus in his death to sin and in the new life of his resurrection. And when we demonstrate love in the way that we live, it shows that more strongly than anything else. There are other things as well. The call to unity is a very important part of what the New Testament says in the light of our baptism. Paul talks about us being baptized and therefore you've got to be unified. You're baptized into one body 
and therefore you've got to have equal status amongst all members of the church, you've got to not just love one another, you've got to treat one another with equal status. And he also talks about the call to suffer as well. And this is crucial. And it's a very tough part of our Christian lives. But when we're incorporated into the death and resurrection of Jesus, that involves that death to sin that we're called to, meaning that we've got to be prepared to undergo real suffering for the choices that we make. Jesus' death, of course, was followed by his resurrection, and that is the pattern that when we're prepared to suffer for the gospel, we experience as well. Ultimate resurrection, but also signs of resurrection life, redemption coming into our experience when we take that costly decision to suffer for belonging to Jesus. Now, all of that requires real effort. It's not a question of let go and let God, that expression that used to be used. It's about us positively deciding to cooperate with God's Spirit so that we allow God to shape us more and more into the people that he declared us to be in our baptism. He gives us that status in our baptism, and then the calling is to live in such a way that we more and more reflect the truth of what we represent, of the grace that God has given us. And of course, all of this ultimately feeds back into our security as well, because nothing makes us more secure than knowing that our lives have a purpose. That of belonging to God through his Son, Jesus Christ, and reflecting that resurrection life, the reality of God out to the world. Nothing gives us greater security than our lives having that sort of purpose. We do it as individuals, we do it even more as a church community, brought together in one family, through belonging, through being incorporated into the risen King, Jesus Christ. So this year is a special year for Her Majesty, for the Queen, and therefore a special year for all of us incorporated into what she represents, even if we're a bit of a Republican, and I've, I've got one or two tendencies, but we're all incorporated into what the Queen represents. But the Queen herself, and this is where, just one of the ways in which she is magnificently admirable, the Queen herself is also quick to acknowledge another incorporation that carries an even greater significance than her reign. Her incorporation, together with all those of us who were baptised and respond to that baptism with a life of faith, into a greater king, a greater monarch, into Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and our risen King. Let's thank God for our baptism. I think uh, all of us here are baptised at one stage or another. Some of us might not be, but the opportunity is for everyone. And we're given a wonderful status from God and a calling to live out what that represents in the life of ongoing faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the status that you've given us. This amazing truth that through our baptism, what is true of Jesus in his death and resurrection becomes true of us as well because we are incorporated within the body of Christ. Would you help us never to be complacent about that? 
to live out our response with a life of faith, a life of trusting, a life of holiness, of unity, and being prepared to suffer for belonging to you. And as we live like that, Lord God, would you increase our security? Would you increase our sense, our knowledge that we belong to you? And would you help us to therefore make good and healthy choices on the basis of that wonderful security that you give us as your precious sons and daughters? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.